welcome to Energy Central's Power Perspectives podcast. In this forum, we speak with leaders in the business who are ready to dive into the issues that are rapidly transforming the energy and utility industry. I'm your host, Jason Price of West Monroe, also serving as Community Ambassador for Energy Central, and I'm based in New York City. Joining me from Orlando, Florida is Matt Chester, Energy Central's Community Manager and producer of this podcast. As we kick off 2021, Everyone is welcoming the new year with hope and optimism. The year 2020 was truly a monumental year, but what triumphed above all was the extraordinary resilience of humans all over the world. In short order, people were forced to adapt and embrace a new normal. Our nation's utilities were tested amidst the changing energy and distribution landscape. COVID-19 supplemented it with uncertainty and urgency. Our guest today recently shared an article in Energy Central about the holistic state of the utility industry, looking back on the successful navigation of a tumultuous 2020 while looking bright-eyed toward the future that 2021 can bring, including his views about the impact of COVID-19 on utilities and what the future looks like for the industry. But he also believes that amongst many lessons this year taught us, one is to take any prediction with a grain of salt. You just have to keep an eye on everything and embrace the change is only constant cliche. After all, cliches are cliches for a reason. Right, Matt? Can't argue with that. And if 2020 is the teacher of these lessons, then I suppose we'd better listen. So before we introduce our guest today and indulge in an invigorating chat with him, let's recognize the sponsors who have made this episode possible. To West Monroe, West Monroe works with the nation's largest investor-owned utilities in their telecommunication, grid modernization, and digital and workforce transformations. From defending a rate case to preparing a business case, West Monroe utilizes a multidisciplinary team that blends utility operations and technology expertise covering topics including aging infrastructure, electric vehicles, AMI, MDM, and ADMS deployment, and industry disruptors like DERs and cybersecurity. To ESRI, an international supplier of geographic information, GIS software, web GIS, and geodatabase management applications. And to Guidehouse, formerly Navigant Research, a premier market research and advisory firm covering the global energy transformation. Joining us for today's special episode and to kick off a new year for Power Perspectives and our listeners is our guest, Talak. Subramanian. Talak serves as the Vice President of Energy Efficiency at Eversource, a position he has held for more than 10 years, with a unique background coming from the publishing industry prior to joining the utility space. Today, he oversees a portfolio of over $600 million in businesses that help customers optimize their energy use, and he leads the team that is focused on scaling customer-facing solutions like energy efficiency, peak demand management, EV infrastructure build-out, and DER integration. Talak has vast industry experience and prides himself with as many achievements he's earned along the way in his career. In fact, just a year ago, he was nominated by peers and subsequently recognized as a champion of innovation by a committee of energy central experts. Recently, Talak judged the esteemed MIT Clean Energy Business Plan competition, and he is a regular contributor on important energy topics. As I mentioned before, Talak recently shared his views on the state of utility industry in 2021 and major trends that industry can expect in the coming months. 
I'm really excited to dive deeper and learn more about Talak's insights on these topics, and maybe he will share with us some of his New Year's resolutions. So let's not wait any longer. Talak, welcome to Energy Central's Power Perspectives podcast. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Matt. I want to commend you both for these podcasts. I have listened to uh, several of these episodes, and they are very well done. You really uh, brought out the depth and nuance in the topics that you've uh, taken on on these. Thank you. That's very kind. To like everyone is enthusiastically looking forward to a new year, hoping we can leave many of the recent challenges behind us. Can you talk about your perspective, what the future holds for the utility industry, and shed some light on the trends you're expecting in this coming year? Yeah, no pun intended, but the future for the utility industry is bright. You know, at our own company, Eversource, we have a couple of guiding principles when we think about what we do. One, first and foremost, we provide safe, reliable, and affordable energy. The second is to really be a catalyst for clean energy. I believe these are really applicable to the industry as a whole, precisely how individual utilities across the nation might navigate these and some of the inherent tensions may differ. But the themes are similar. I know that we are pretty committed here at Eversource. We have announced that we're going to be carbon neutral by 2030. But as we look to 2021 and how this plays down on the ground, for sure the pandemic will loom large. There are a lot of efforts underway to help individuals and businesses manage their energy bill through the current crisis, and I'm sure we can get into that a bit. But I'm also seeing a redoubling of efforts to ensure that as we come out of this crisis, we do so in a manner that's environmentally and economically sustainable for us in the long term. Prior to the pandemic, utilities always had their plates full working on the energy transition and modernizing grid systems. Add the impact of COVID-19 and numerous natural disasters with which the utilities were tested, and the result is that you are stretched thin, but you survived. Can you take us inside how you and your teams handle these challenges, and what has been the response of Eversource to the pandemic? Yeah, thank you for that question, Jason. I'm actually quite proud of how we responded to the crisis. The fact that the governors across the New England states had a fairly consistent and thoughtful response to the pandemic really provided us with good guidance at a high level. Around mid-March, right after the governors issued stay-at-home orders, we did a few things. We advocated for stopping collections and developing more generous payment plans and terms for our customers. So in front of our regulators, along with many other stakeholders and partners, this was something we drove to say, hey, we really need to put a pause on any kind of collections and help people out with their cash flow. We also organized a number of webinars that shared with customers, really small businesses, individuals, larger businesses, what are all the options they had, including a primer on the CARES Act that the federal government had passed. And we pointed people to those resources. So in a sense, we were sort of giving them some hand-holding guidance on where they could go for help, including what we had available for them. And within our own, you know, the energy efficiency, demand side management businesses, we did about five steps we took, you know, right after the stay-at-home orders, we immediately suspended on-premise activity. But within a couple of weeks, about 10 days, we rolled out virtual training and certification programs for many of our business partners. Again, these are small businesses that were hit hard, and we thought it would be wise to use this downtime to really upskill, and it seemed like a good time to do that. Right after that, we developed new virtual services or products for our customers, uh, virtual assessments, 
energy saving kits that were that were self-installed air purifiers you know for folks who are spending a lot of time at home thermostats for the coming peak demand uh, you know summer peak and with a lot of folks at home a lot so again product services that were relevant to their current situation the fourth thing we did was you know as things started to get better late summer we really developed new protocols for re-entry if you will to get people businesses back providing services on premise to customers there was a lot of pushing and pulling you know we're engaging the contractor and vendor community to get these right we brought in some outside experts to get these right but net net was that we were actually able to start these services and get folks back to work and last but not the least we actually rolled out enhanced incentives for customers to stimulate that demand i mean the economy went into freeze if you recall and we really felt the need to stimulate demand so we rolled out some enhanced incentives and the impact of all this is even through this crisis for some of these services are now oversubscribed. And again, we can't claim credit for all this. We had a lot of partners we worked with, the regulators we worked with are very supportive of everything we did. But again, we were glad to play a central role in making this happen. Tilak, you, you mentioned things like webinars, virtual energy assessments, and more that became relevant because of the pandemic. I'm wondering if you could talk about what of these changes you think will stick around in a post-COVID world? You know, were they able to teach more evergreen lessons that you can take away from being forced unexpectedly into this position? Oh, for sure. For sure. I can tell you we're a utility and, you know, utility, there's a lot of utility jokes and we won't get into that. But it might have taken us a year to roll out some of these virtual training because we tend to be conservative. We tend to get buy-in from a lot of people. We tend to get sign-off from our regulators before we get anything rolled out. But the fact that we rolled out some of these virtual services within a matter of weeks was phenomenal. And going forward, I can see us continuing those as a way to really complement on-premise services for sure. The webinars, what a great way to actually reach customers and educate them, not just between about what our core services are, but already also providing them more contextual information on other places they could go or other things they need to consider. Broadly speaking, how do you lead your Eversource team in terms of planning for 2021, addressing the myriad of challenges and expectations under your domain? For example, how do you see electric vehicle infrastructure unfolding at Eversource how are your energy efficiency programs going to play out for commercial and residential customers? How is Eversource balancing affordability, sustainability, and reliability of energy? So let's unpack that a little bit, uh, Jason, and along, along a couple of threads. First and foremost, the pandemic overhang is going to remain with us at least through 2021. And we have a critical role to play in the economic recovery. We have to remain very nimble and we have to keep our finger on the pulse of our customers, roll out new services, offers like the ones we've already talked about, and really be relevant to them in the short term. And an example of that would be, you know, as people start to get back to work, they're going to, what we are already seeing is schools and any offices that are open are really increasing their airflow through the, their buildings. So how do we help them manage that? And if you're going to stress the systems, the systems themselves, the HVAC systems are, li are likely to fail and break. How do we help them manage that, mitigate those risks? So there's a lot we can do that we wouldn't have traditionally been thinking of. So more to come on that. So that I would, again, put in the bucket of deal with the pandemic overhang. The second thing is, you know, as we consider the decarbonization goals that our states have set, we again have a very critical role to play. 
Now we've, over the last 10 years, we've consistently delivered on the most aggressive energy reduction goals in the nation. That's because we've built a platform to deliver our service. And I, and I use the term platform in a broader sense, you know, the internal skills and capabilities, the partnerships, the technologies, some of the data analytics, all that put together, uh, it's the platform. And that's the same platform that we leveraged when we built out the EV infrastructure. At the moment, I believe our build out is one of the largest efforts outside of California for the EV build out. And even through this pandemic, we are oversubscribed in the interest for that program. So we've actually gone back to the DPU for some additional funding, which we are hoping to receive and will might will likely be going back for still more. And we've got a proposal in um, Connecticut to actually build out the EV infrastructure. So we are very bullish about the whole electrification of transportation and the role we can play there. And again, we've talked about the balancing affordability, sustainability, and reliability. Eversource as a company, we've taken real initiatives both on the supply side to clean up the grid. You may be aware we are one of the largest players along with our joint venture partner and offshore wind in the nation. And on the demand side, which is the side of the business I'm involved in, we've got all these programs. And it's through these engaging of stakeholders and that we really see that, that achieving that balance of affordability and sustainability and reliability. And we are, again, very, very bullish about getting to the right outcome that is broadly supported. You mentioned that energy efficiency at Eversource has been driven by data analytics and intelligent customer segmentation. Could you elaborate on this and explain how do you ensure customer engagement when the conversation about energy efficiency is continuously evolving? Let me start with a little bit of background and context. And you mentioned that I joined from uh, the publishing industry. When I was there, we lived, I lived the whole print to digital shift. We spent our waking hours, you know, worrying whether Google was going to eat us alive. And we really did very well at the end. And I think the primary reason was we had a very deep understanding of our customers. It's that theme that I think we brought here when I joined this company my first assessment of our organization was we were very long on energy skills. We knew everything there was to know about it, short on what I would call go-to-market skills. So that's the part we set, set about to change, and we were lucky to be in the New England area where we have access to talent. Our entire marketing and data analytics team comes from outside the industry. We have folks from retail background. We have folks who have done all this big data stuff, who have lived it and done it for years. And we have a sales team that is led by someone who can really go engage the CFO. Though I bring this up because it's important. Data analysis by itself doesn't accomplish much if you don't have the team and the culture to execute, right? Having said that, let me give you a couple of very simple examples of uh, data analytics. This is not gonna be very esoteric, but it's simple transparent of how you were able to translate it to the actual on the ground action. First, if you look at our commercial and industrial customers, we did what we call a simple quartile analysis. So each quartile will represent a quarter of the use. Most stark result insight from that was what we found was about 2% of our customers, commercial and industrial customers accounted for 80% of the use. So energy use was extremely skewed, extremely skewed. 2% accounting for 80% of the use. The corollary was about 80% of our customers accounted for about 6 to 7% of our use. Down, if you broke it into quartiles and subquartiles at the bottom. And what this tells you is how you engage that 2% and how you engage that other 80% with limited use is going to be very different. 
it's stating the obvious, that's where the go-to-market skills come in. What we ended up doing, what we found was the 2% were the ones that we were hadn't fully engaged. So that led to really developing what we call our MOUs or memorandums of understanding and partnerships with our largest customers. The first one was with MIT about 10 years ago. And it was really partnership to say, we were gonna work with MIT to reduce their energy footprint by 15% over three years, 5% a year. You know, in the five years since we started that uh, first agreement, MIT built about 1.2 million square feet on campus. And Jason, you said you were from the Boston area, from Massachusetts, you may be familiar with the Prudential Tower here in Boston. That's like putting a Prudential Tower on campus, except we had a lot of lab space that very high energy use. MIT's energy use through that build out has remained flat. So that's the kind of impact we are talking we've had. And this is not marginal impact, this is quantum change in how they use energy. So that, that was a very stark example of what you can you know, multiply that across many large customers and you see it. On the residential side, I can give you an example where we've done, for instance, some customer propensity analysis. We do a lot of work around sending people into customers' home to help insulate their homes, do audits, and then help insulate their home. So part of what we wanted to understand was the propensity, what led customers to do that, uh, to actually take those additional steps to actually do an audit and then do the additional measures. So we took the data we had and mapped it against, you know, Experian data, essentially did a decision tree analysis, start with 200 variables and you figure out which are the ones that are actually relevant. What we boiled it down to, there was three variables that mattered the most. It may seem like stating the obvious, but one was how much annual usage you had, whether you owned a home, and how much equity you uh, owned in your home. Now, this may sound obvious, but here's the nuance. What we found was the folks who had equity in their home, if you had a equity of about somewhere between a third and two-thirds of your home you owned, is where we found a propensity for folks to really invest in. So again, why you can speculate on why that's the case of that's what the analysis showed. And we overlaid, we took that analysis, overlaid it with some what we call psychographic uh, messaging. So how do we think people would respond to? Is it about saving energy? Is it about having kids and being comfortable? And so we did a targeted marketing campaigns based on that and found that we were able to actually increase our conversion rates 4x and really drive down the cost of customer acquisition. So those are two examples of how we've actually um, taken this analysis and actually driven it out to uh, provide more effective services to our customers. Given that you oversee a number of responsibilities, including energy efficiency, EV, demand response, DER, and more, there are many paths to reach carbon reduction goals under your purview. How do you advocate or allocate budget and resources of one path over another? You know, we live in a world of limited resources to go around. Do you find you have to jockey with those other forward-looking programs? Or are you able to be more holistic and look at them all as pieces of the same puzzle? What I will say is I've been lucky here at Eversource in that I have a lot of executive support for what we do. Like I mentioned, we have committed to being carbon neutral by 2030. And, you know, if you go to our website, it lays out several of the elements that go into it. And one of them is really helping our customers reduce their carbon footprint, which is where our side of the business comes in. We have had full executive support, and it's not like we are competing for internal, directly competing for internal resources as much as certainly there's an element of mind share uh, that you get into is because there's so much going on in this industry right now. The way I think about it, my own personal role is I have three threads to it. One is 
my job is to first shape the vision. So on the demand side, it is really articulating, here are the things that we've done, here are the emerging new threads, price performance of technologies, what does that mean for decarbonization, right? Some of the new themes that come out there that we are dealing with right now are around electrification of heat, electrification of transportation. So part of that is trying to figure out where is the reality of the technology and the promise and what can we actually deliver on the ground in the next one, two, three years? We, we think in terms of three-year tranches. That's how our regulatory process works. So that's the line of sight that we have. Second is building the team. And we touched on this a little earlier as part of there's a continual evaluation around building the team for the future. To be honest, this is the area that's the most difficult because as busy as we are, as overworked as we are, there's a tendency to really go. If you lose somebody, someone retires, there's a tendency to replace that person with another person who looks just like them. Whereas we need to take the time to sort of pause and figure out what are the skills we actually need as an organization more holistically, go find them and incorporate them. And that takes time, that takes energy. And last but not the least is really the third element of what I do is around really managing stakeholders. Again, when I came from my old job, stakeholders meant customers, internal executives, shareholders. I think what's new in this industry is communities, you know, regulators, there are legislators, a lot of other new stakeholders. Frankly, that's important. That's the reality of what we're dealing with in our, in our country right now. And I enjoy it. I found I really enjoy it. So I spent a lot of time really bringing those folks along, really understanding their perspective. So it's really trying to get out of my zone of comfort, get better informed. And through that process, it sort of emerges. You strike that balance between, hey, here are some of the near-term things we need to do and execute on, and here are how we position for the longer term. For instance, new construction area would be an area where there's a lot of emphasis around passive homes. We are involved in a project in downtown Boston, for instance, which slated as one of the largest passive house complexes in the world. It's a high-rise tower which is built to passive house standards. But that's not going to get built for another five years, but we cannot ignore that because we have to be on the ground engaged with them now. So we have to strike that balance that you're talking about, but those sort of evolve naturally through these conversations that uh, we have along those three threads. You talk about some of the work Eversource has done about customer engagement. Could you talk a bit more about this and let our listeners know how do you translate the insights from data analysis to meaningful progress, especially for those who qualify as low income? Yeah, so let me start out by saying that there is some explicit designations for low-income rates in some of our states in which uh, we operate, but not all. And as we've looked at low-income, you know, we've had some of our cities and communities that we partner with have also done some of this analysis. What we found through our own data analysis is there's likely more people who would qualify as low-income than have been formally identified as low-income through whatever means, right? And in, through this pandemic, I think that's even worse. The way we have responded to that is by doing a couple of things. One is we've developed programs to help them, and we discuss some of these, right? We've put a pause on any kind of collections. We've developed new, far easier, generous payment terms. In the energy efficiency side, we've been offering more higher incentives or even services for free where we need financing, again, very generous financing terms to finance any investments that small businesses might 
need to make. So the whole portfolio of programs that we've actually developed to you know, respond to this community. The second thing we do is actually you need to, once you develop the program, you have to actually get the message out to the right people. And that's where you know, data analytics helps a lot because we've determined that there are more folks there than quote unquote identified through maybe low income rates. So how do we reach these folks? We work with partners. We work with cities, towns, communities. We worked with a number of the cities over the summer to actually jointly target these vulnerable populations because coming from us and from the, from the city itself on a joint letterhead, we thought would be more powerful, making them aware of the kind of programs they may have access to, where they can call, where they can go. Some of these folks don't want to be identified more explicitly. And we've also used multiple languages. Recently, we've rolled out a Spanish language version for mobile app that's been very well received. So these are, again, ways we reach uh, many of these vulnerable folks. And last but not the least, CAP agencies, they are very, very important partners for us, right? Both in terms of identifying, getting the message out to these, uh, this community, as well as delivering some of these services. Those are, so those are the three things we do is develop the right programs, really leverage data analytics to get identify and find groups of people who need to hear that message which may be extend well beyond who we think has actually qualified and finally find the right partners to get the message out you have a lot on your plate talak and this has been a fantastic conversation you've certainly exceeded the bar set on power perspectives how about we give you the last word on this discussion so speaking as a representative of the utility industry what do you think the utilities need most from government, stakeholders, and the public in the upcoming year? You know, I'll, I'll end with what we started with. I think the future is very bright for us. I'm very bullish about it. But to get there, we really have to listen to one another and engage in constructive debate and conversation. That's probably true of society as a whole. So I think utilities have a central role to play when it comes to economic development, addressing equity and addressing climate change. So what we would welcome is a thoughtful engagement with many of our you know, regulators and stakeholders that you mentioned. And thank you for, for taking the time today. Really welcome it. Well, this has been an enlightening conversation, Talak, and I thank you for sharing your insights with us on today's episode of the podcast. We'll have to stay tuned to see how the utilities fare in the coming year. Let's keep our fingers crossed that things continue to look more positive as we turn our calendars on 2020. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Matt. Happy to be here. You can always reach Tillac through the Energy Central platform or directly with Eversource where he welcomes your questions and comments. Once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com. And we'll see you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives podcast. Mm -hmm.